You have to hear Kashyana speak about the senselessness of bitter guard, curry, or the zen of belonging to understand the delicate relationship she has with words and how she captures the fragility of beauty. As a counterpoint, we have Indran with his muscular poetry which combines indignation, despair, and angst into a poetic tapestry of aching pulchritude. Both Kashyana and Indran are terrific poets based out of USA and come together for a lovely chat with Ankit Poetry on their new poetry books. They speak about the genesis of their poetic journeys of memory, of displacement of processes and why diaspora poets possibly have a more universal view of the countries they settle in. This is Sunil Bhandari and you are listening to the Salon edition of Ankit Poetry. Kashyana Singh is from India, lives in North Carolina and embodies her TEDx talk theme of work as worship into her every day. She is a management professional by definition, but a work or poet practitioner by personal preference. Woman by the Door is a third collection of poetry. Indran Amirthana Yagam writes in English, Spanish, French, Portuguese and Haitian Creole. He has published 21 poetry books. He edits the Beltway Poetry Quarterly, co-directs Poets and Writers Studio International and hosts the Poetry Channel on YouTube. He is a 2021 Emergent Seed Grant winner. 10,000 Steps Against The Tyrant is his latest collection of poetry. This is such an incredible pleasure, Indran Kashyana. Congratulations, both of you have new books of poetry out and that is something to Thank truly you. celebrate. And what wonderful books these are. I mean, the more I delved into them, the more I came out moved to bits and in very different ways for both the books i must confess so without much ado let's delve into the themes you tackle in your books and what's precious about them so kashina maybe we could start with you your book is woman by the door is yeah. there a certain congruity a thread of commonality in the themes you delve in in your collection first of all thank you uh and i know you're trying to delve into the into our books into both our books and that itself requires time and effort so it's much appreciated uh, both by indran and me so no appreciate it uh, in terms of woman by the door the the themes the book is divided into three sections uh, the first section is a purchase the second is portal and the third is detours and if you notice there is a reference to cinema photography in terms of using those uh, those different sections as ideas uh, with the thought being that your life itself is like a cinema scape moving through uh, zooming in and zooming out so that's the broad approach to looking at it the first section focuses on poems of memory or poems of childhood you will see a lot uh, one of indran's favorite poems i know is about kurds and way in my nani's house and so it leans into a lot of memory with of course 
taking pieces of that memory and what it means more from a universal context with a lens of being a woman and a global uh, citizen. The second poem moves into the place of portals and the, the genesis of this book is really that it's a conglomeration of work written over the last 10 years, which is when I made the move from India to the US. Um, and the, I think I shared this with both of you individually, but the vulnerable aspect of that is that I moved just with my daughter, um, who was in high school at that time. So it was a moment of great vulnerability for me personally. And as a woman, it was also a moment of great conflict because I was moving for personal reasons, for my professional reasons, I was moving for work. And I pulled this girl who was at, in her teenage years, right, in, in high school and made her move with me purely for selfish reasons, because I did not want to be living in a new country all by myself. So there's that aspect of by the door and the transition and what, what was happening along with that to other relationships. My son and my husband stayed behind uh, in India. So I lived a long distance relationship for almost three, four years. And as you both would agree, any any relationship, any marriage for that aspect, whether it's 20, 30, 40 years old needs to be fed and invested in, right? To, to sustain and survive. So that's the when coming back to portals, portal, the portal aspect in that section of poems is a lot about growth, transition. Um, there was a lot going on in both countries, India mm. and the US at that time, both in terms of political upheavals, mm. uh, as well as Sunil, you would recollect and Enron, you probably read about all of that was going on with the with the rape aspects in India mm. and then the Me Too movement in the US. And that was also a time my daughter, who I had, as I said, moved with me. The, the US was leaving home, the new home and moving to college, right? Mm. So there was a lot of anxiety, let's say that as a woman again, to say, what, what is the environment I'm putting her out into? And am I educating her in the right way to be able to deal with all of that. Um, and then of course the political aspect, which I don't need to enhance and speak mm. more about Indran's entire work is centered on some of the political aspects, but that was affecting me. And then the third section is detours, which then almost takes a full circle back and delves into theme of loss and grief, which was very personal from loss and grief of my, what I had experienced. And while that was a couple of years ago, the distance, the geographical distance from my home brought a new lens of how I was looking at loss and grief and my reaction to that loss, mm. as well as others around me and their reaction to loss. And the pandemic <laughs> in the last couple of years, of course, added to it. So there's some lens and tinge of that. So to your, to your point, yes, there is a thread there, which one of the main threads being it's a woman at the door moving in and out, both in terms of physical space and time, but also in terms of mental movement and maturity, as well as personally, I was going through, that was the phase I was going through menopause. So a lot of physical changes, right? Mm. Just as a woman in my mm. own self and body and what that was doing to me in terms of self-reflection, which is where some of the titular poem themes, the woman by the door poem uh, speaks to that a little Gosh, and the poems are so suffused with gentle nostalgia and, you know, of things past and fleeting. And sometimes the, like, like the Kurt poem, the quiet grandeur of the commonplace thing. I mean, they're wonderful, wonderful poems. Yeah, I'm still reading it. Uh, so Of course you are. Yeah, I know I yes. sent a little late to you. But yeah. <laughs> Indran, 
And Casey calls your latest book a powerful anthem for social justice, a heartfelt hymn to hope. And the name of your collection, 10,000 Steps Against the Tyrant, is very direct and unambiguous. And Allen yes. Ginsberg himself has given you permission to take names and shoot from the hip. If I'm correct, I read that in one of your poems. So when did you start writing the collection? And, and was it a very conscious choice to make it so direct with the names in it and the entire, uh, you know, collective ammunition coming out of you uh, without any stoppage from your side? Uh, what a question, yeah. And, and uh, thank you, first of all, Sunil, for this generous invitation. And, and Kashyana, what a what a glorious response and, and thinking about, about the reasons for why you write what you write. Um, in terms of this book, I mean, the, a short answer would be I started writing it when the campaign began against the, the tyrant. I mean, the, this particular tyrant has orange hair and, and you know, goes, uh, you know, the, like the, uh, the, uh, the character in Harry Potter, you know, the, the, the fellow you can't name, but yet... <laughs> Yes, yeah. I forget. I forget. I forget the name of that character. But anyway, his name is Donald Trump, and I write mm. about. I, and and I, I, I'm. I guess I've been an activist as a poet uh, prior to this book. I mean, I've, I've. I'm a Tamil from Ceylon, you know, a country that no longer exists. I mean, it's been renamed Sri Lanka. I, I'm a, a member of a minority group. Uh, and within the minority, a, a minority as well. I mean, in terms of religious, I mean, I'm a Catholic Tamil from a certain community in the north of, of the island. And then, of course, I mean, uh, so it's sort of politics, the, the affairs of the community, polis, the meaning of the, the Greek word, affairs of the community has been sort of in my blood, poetic blood for a long time. So. Uh, but I'm also now an, a migrant uh, uh, and an American um, and an, an American diplomat as well, uh, which is a, an unusual thing to represent the, your adopted country as uh, abroad as a diplomat. Very few countries, if any, um, allow a first generation migrant to 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 serve in that capacity. So that and so I have a certain sort of. Uh, wonder and gratitude to the new adopted father and mother, you know, this country that has given me a, a chance to serve it as its representative. So there's a sort of optimism and, uh, you know, the American dream for me remains a sort of live um, uh, vitamin, you know, that I'm eating every day and, and drinking uh, with my morning tea. I mean, it's tea, so I carry tea from my old country but I but I still um, uh, I still have this sort of optimism now uh, someone called it perhaps a, a naivete you know vis-a-vis -vis the uh, the challenges of perfecting the democracy but and trying to do it through poetry might seem a bit quixotic a bit like a character mm -hmm. like Don Quixote or someone uh, railing against windmills but honestly uh, and you know when and in the process of writing these poems, I learned things like that Joe Biden likes 
poetry and grew, you know, reads poetry and yes. and, and uh, Kamala Harris is a Tamil in part, you know, yes. and, and so you know there's a sort of an identity yes. uh, there uh, connection, uh, and I celebrate that in one of the poems, um, looking at her origins and 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 I really do believe that poetry can make something happen, although I've always cited Auden's line that poetry makes nothing happen and 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 said you know well Auden was wrong or somehow uh, his his idea I'm a great poet but but uh, I've, I've railed against that that idea so I, I guess in that sense Allen Ginsberg is more of a, a model for me than than Auden is in terms of using poetry to effect or to participate in social change and movement and 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 so um, now at the same time I don't want to write agitprop or or use language that out of the newspapers or to sociology books or something I mean I'm I'm a journalist by training I have enormous respect for journalism and the role of the the fourth estate but at the same time I'm there is a I'm a lyrical journalist poet you know I, I there's a musical speech is what I consider a poem I mean it's a sort of it's a form of verbal music so I try in these poems even though the subject may be a very direct address to the people to get out and vote to participate in the in this campaign against the tyrant to walk their own 10,000 steps you know what does that 10,000 mean? I mean, those steps are, uh, you know, the, the, the walking apps tell you that if you walk 10,000 steps a day, you are, you're becoming fitter. And, or, mm-hmm. and what is a fitter American, let's say? How, is, how can the democracy be made fitter? Well, I mean, play your part, walk your steps, do go out and vote. Now, at the same time, there are all these restrictions to your voting, and especially post the election of mm. President Biden and so on, these, these restrictions are coming in hard and fast in many states. So the campaign is, is, is endless. It does not stop with the election of this, uh, this particular president. Um, and the democracy, uh, at least American democracy, seems to always go two steps forward, one step back, or there are there are assassinations. I mean, we have witnessed in, in, in recent history uh, peacemakers like Martin Luther King and uh, uh, mowed down, but their dream is still coursing through uh, not just the school books, but in the minds of, of the migrants as well. I mean, I, 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 I do believe... Uh, in this American dream, and I try to uh, voice that belief in in these poems. At the same time, I uh, I don't mind if someone calls uh, some of the poems naive because it's the sort of I change that word its meaning and I take it on as a badge of courage or something, a sort of innocence, willed innocence. Because how else can we wake up in the morning and face not only the mother of elections, but the mother of pandemics. I mean, there there are two sections to the book. Uh, And uh, this particular election took place in the context of this pandemic, which was particularly 
brutal in the United States. I mean, in terms mm -hmm. of numbers felled and 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 also brutal in terms of the the manifestation of of ignorance and resistance to to science and and you know for me um, the scientific enterprise and the poetic enterprise go hand in hand. I mean, I'm uh, there is a sort of um, so I mean, my example. I have a a cousin who is a who is a senior uh, doctor at at Massachusetts General and and, and professor at Harvard Medical School. Now, when he appreciates a poem, you see, I, I, I there is something <laughs> so, something has the poem works. For me. <laughs> well said. <laughs> so I so I I, I hope uh, I hope the book. Uh, elicit some conversations around the breakfast table, the dinner table, that it, that it is, uh, that it celebrates the fact that poetry does not have to be complicated mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. rhetorically uh, sure. flowery. It can, it can go straight, uh, but it has to keep some relationship to music, to, to, to rhymes and rhythms and, and melodies. And, and I think um, in, I'm hoping that there are the, the poems here uh, sing, they dance. Sure. They, and sure. and uh, I hope yeah. that's um, the beginning of an answer to your question. <laughs> sure. You. But in fact, I just can't help asking you this. There was a time uh, when Tagore was accused that whilst the country is in turmoil and the Britishers yes. are running amok, you're writing love poetry. So how important <laughs> is it for a poet to be political? particularly if uh, the whole country is collapsing all around? Would, would it be justified for a poet to write love poetry? Oh, I, I think so. And, I, and actually, I have. I, <laughs> I cover all the bases. You know? <laughs> I, I, the book that came out just before this one is a book of love, uh, love poems called Blue Window, a book I wrote in Spanish and translated uh, by another person, Jennifer Athman, into English. That was a very rich experience of translation and working with uh, another uh, on. But no, I, I, I look, uh, Charles, Rez I think it was Resnikov because of the war and so on. There was, a, I think it was Resnikov who sort of stopped writing poetry for about five years or something, you know, I mean, there, it's a very individual decision, mm. you know, where, how do you spend your time and how do you, I mean, Mario Vargas Llosa, the novelist, um, said that uh, if he had won the election in Peru and had become its president, he would not have written maybe two novels or something that ah. he wrote mm. post. Now, is the world and the future generations better off for those two novels or, or, or what he may mm -hmm. have done as a president? I don't mm. uh, That's not for me to... But, but you, you do make a, a choice. And... Um, I, I think one can choose to live in the contradictions of, so one can write a love poem, one can write a poem about croissants, as I wrote the other day, or can write a poem about, and I'm about tea, about tea, <laughs> and and then write a poem against this 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 For sure. this tyrant, you know, and of course the tyrant, we have tyrants all over the world. I mean, this is. But my particular homegrown tyrant is, <laughs> is the one that I addressed in this book. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Since we've talked about food, Kashyana, you, you know, I can't help but ask you this just now. You have such an intimate relationship with food. I mean, poem after poem, you know, you have the sensuousness of 
bitter guat curry then there's that <laughs> zen of curd making you know how each pancake is a gospel for you i mean what is this endearing relationship you have with food i mean yeah, it's, it's mouth watering <laughs> well i'm glad you caught that um i i'll come can i come to that in a second i want to close on what you were just discussing course, with children sure. about and I, I, my view uh, is first of all i treat personally i consider poetry to be a problem solving tool for myself mm. right it helps me solve well problems said. of mm. of whether it's whether it's memory that haunts you and you need to get rid of something right that's churning in your mind we all know that anxiety and stress begins in childhood right so there's beauty of childhood but there's also a lot of memories that you need to process and maybe purge in a way and so it becomes a problem solving tool for that reason uh, but also to go back to the political aspects of it i think the reason it's so important and indrun's poetry does it what it does and i'm nowhere close to writing as much on the but i do i do write about news and what's happening around us and i think it what poetry does to me for me is it offers a distance from the incident or the situation or the person in let's say the orange man in this case and allows you to express and write something that will be politically more relevant and more impactful than it were if you were very engaged on the ground in the actual situation right so i think that's what poetry does for me um i happened to be working uh, as the as the managing editor with poets reading the news the entire journal is based off of the foundation of journalism poetry as journalism mm. or journalism through poetry whichever mm. way and indran mentioned sure. is journalism by uh, by profession or by training right so when we bring in poems into the journal the lens we apply is what what's the incident or the situation it's responding to right and so there was a period of time that there was everything was about the election political environment but there were also other topics but the beauty of reading somebody else's work and indran and i are actually going to talk on this subject on a different program a little a couple of weeks later is looking at it from the other side of the table as an editor just educates you differently because to your point so no there's love poetry that comes in response to incidents there's odes there's sonnets there's all kinds of forms that come in it's amazing to see how people poets uh, have picked up threads even the uh, insurrection a year ago and the amount of poetry response we got through that but the variety was necessarily not just about what was happening on the ground but everything surrounding it including what may be happening in my own house with a little baby but with reference to context to the insurrection that's happening outside so i just sure. wanted i have sure sure wanted to jump in on that so coming to the food aspect of it uh what is it with food so so remember i carry the name my last name is singh right so uh the as as a community the sikh community does thrive and as a lot of communities do thrive with what happens in the kitchen right it, it, and it goes back to it goes back to the woman aspect of it because there is politics in the kitchen that happens in households and homes that start oh, yes. the generations of women that oh, work yes. there's also love and training that happens in the kitchen in terms of everything that i might be educated about life happens around the gospel of pancake making right or happens around how you 
how you deal with your kitchen in terms of the tidiness of the kitchen mm. or the uncleanliness. So there's a the kitchen is always the center of a lot of activity, and that could be beautiful aspects of food making, but also the ancillary aspects of the politics, the woman to woman relationship, how unforgiving women can be to each other about things that may go wrong mm. in food making, and the and the power struggles of who's who that dish that's been traveling through generations who makes it best right so there's so much that goes on i don't think i've even uncovered a, a layer yet uh, so that's that's just to say to you that's where there's so much of that that somehow always pops in including things like bitter gourd uh, making yeah. <laughs> which started with my with my grandmother and actually it was a power struggle of who the heck can make bitter goats well and she thought she's the only one who could but of course that's not what i say in the poem <laughs> oh my god i'll i'll ask you both this question but maybe you can answer first gashina because what you talked about food for example is also very particular to uh, to to uh, south asia so Yes. Is the is the diaspora experience does it find resonance you know of their particular experience across the social lines and literary expectations of uh, of USA? So first of all no question right there's the eastern I mean you hit the nail on the head like I, there's a lot of south asian community poets that I connect with and every one of them has something like what i have in my books which is whether it's whether it's making of these two right in the vietnamese uh, culture or it's i'm forgetting the name of the poem but kai kogan's point indran that that's real if i don't know if you've heard it it's called filling something around filling spice jars with my wife a day after my wedding or something to that effect right and it's all about filling filling spice jars and being in the kitchen and the herbs and the spices and the gathering and the and the how erotic that process is right that's where she takes that poem mm. uh, and it's beautiful and I'll send that to you uh, as an afterthought but in terms of whether it resonates with the united yeah. state well i I'd love for Indran to respond to that as well. I don't think there is anything called the United States response to poetry. United States is a country of of people that come from across different parts of the world and country and therefore has to absorb and imbibe, right, uh, the traits. It is becoming more and more popular in general writing around and on food just because uh, the so-called local American communities are now opening their kitchen doors right their home doors to more cooking from the scratch versus the ready to eat culture that it, that mm. pervaded uh, this part of the country or this part of the world and that therefore then automatically opens to the what does that food really mean sure that food really means a combination of all of what the diaspora and what the diverse cultures bring to the table but mm. i'd love to hear from indran also and i know that you have the olive oil poem about your mom <laughs> <laughs> and her her walking into the kitchen late at night right, to right. seek that olive oil <laughs> right now i i think that you know uh, partly it has to do with the pandemic too i mean the pandemic people are spending more time in their kitchens during the pandemic and cooking at home and obviously they're not going to, or have not been going out mm-hmm. to eat to restaurants and so on and so uh, they've been 
practicing recipes for the first time. I mean, <laughs> baking bread. That's a great. Those point. who have never made baked bread before, and so so you have this uh, domestic kitchen focus inspired by the, the circumstances and and. And poets are always hunting for themes. You know, I remember Yeats at the end of his life. <laughs> I searched for it in vain, and it's, you know, it was in the base of the human heart. But but no, so they're looking for themes, and and uh, and cooking is uh, of opening. The kitchen is opening up to them as they yeah. Uh, That's great. They're writing. Um, uh, that said, uh, yes, the United States is full of many migrants from different cultures, and uh, but I think that the the sort of the politics of cooking at home back in Sri Lanka for me, or uh, the 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 rivalries and the pleasures and the communications, some of that gets dissipated here. I mean, here you are inevitably in a nuclear situation, you know, a nuclear mm -hmm. family as opposed to an extended family, usually, and, and you're also. Uh, in a, a much more easy relationship with the conveniences of, of prepared food from out from the, even if it's delivered to you now during the pandemic from uh, a supermarket or, or a restaurant but it so you do I mean that that said uh, it's it's a different experience but yes we can recreate some of what we grew up with here and we do uh, when we can uh, and what's interesting, though, for me is uh, how others who don't know coconut milk have now teach me about coconut milk through <laughs> their, the food they prepare for me. You see, and and I, I love that. I mean, I'm I'm a, yeah. I love hybrid and learning from, and and uh, I I my father was a poet and a critic, Guy Amitnagam. He wrote a book called The Marriage of continents and um, he he was always fascinated by what happens when cultures meet across border lines and 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 in literature uh, and i think i've uh, inherited that fascination and interest so for me the uh, you know when he used to tell tell me as a child uh, we were in london at the time when somebody calls you a wog well, just remember that means you're a Western Oriental gentleman. You see, just take the word and, and turn it Wonderful. around. <laughs> Wonderful. So, uh, <laughs> Wonderful. I guess that's what I, I celebrate also in, in my poetry uh, mm. to some extent. Yeah. That you know, marriage uh, of continents. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no I, I was curious. Uh, Kashina spoke about her roots. You have a very unique view of Sri Lanka as someone who was born there now can take a periscopic view as diaspora and also from the work you do in foreign services. So how do your views subsist in you emotionally and politically? Are there conflicts and does it affect your writing? Yeah, there, there are conflicts. and um, But, you know, for so many years, poetry sort of is under, goes under the radar, you know, people... Yeah. <laughs> At least the American radar, you know, uh, despite my best efforts to make political poetry uh, relevant to the conversations, I'm, just, I'm joking. But no, poetry, one, so I've been able to write poems about some rather uh, harsh and difficult subjects uh, without 
uh, and continuing to work as a as a diplomat and as a you know, but there have been moments in my career when I've had to make a sort of internal decision. I mean, I, I can say, I mean, I used to write for the Hindu when I lived in India, um, uh, and I was once offered a, even a column to write for them, and I I had to decline because of. Uh, of some sort of blistering email I received internally saying that, you know, you're, you're, people know you as a Sri Lankan American diplomat. What you say uh, does get, uh, could affect the way we are seen in here in Delhi or in, in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a choice at that to make at that point, respond to the email from a superior saying, well, look, arguing my case, uh, but I, I felt I didn't want to go, engage in the bureaucratic fight at that point. I, I, I chose mm-hmm. the path of least resistance, which is actually declining the, off, the invitation to, to write the column, which of course was hard for me as a writer, because you can imagine a column that could have been read by millions of people and, and in, in, a, in a space. You know, Don Marias used to write that space column and and then when he passed away, um, I don't mean to drop names, but it was a great honor for me that I was even mm-hmm. considered, you know, to, get, yeah. to have that chance. And uh, so I had to say no then. I said no then. And um, I, I now write actually two columns, but in the form of poetry, but one in Spanish and one in French in a newspaper in the Dominican Republic and one in, in Haiti. But uh, so I... I I do believe that poetry makes something happen. I do believe, and I do want poetry to be engaging, to be engaged with in newspapers and in and in media. And so um, that hasn't changed. But um, yeah, so um, um, in long and short of it is, uh, um, well, I'll, sure. I think this sure. is the part that you need to cut. Yeah. When you edit. <laughs> <laughs> Not to worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. Gosh, talking about life, how how do you reconcile your senior management day job with your pursuit of poetry? <laughs> mm-hmm. I do not reconcile. Ah, okay. <laughs> much abused, much used terms of so-called work-life balance, right? For so many years, the entire corporate world has been talking about work-life balance. And I've always said there is nothing called work-life balance. What you need to do is work-life synthesization, right? And how your work and our life can synthesize together. And you hit, you hit a topic that Indran and I have been going to and fro about again. I live my life in the form of my work being worship, right? And work could be anything. Work can be defined as what I do in my day job, so to say, um, or what I do in the kitchen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, or just the dailiness of what I go about doing every day. Everything to me is work. Uh, and if I bring the element of worship to it and worship, so if you, if you draw the equation mathematically, right? So if work is worship and worship for me comes in the form of poetry, then there's no need to reconcile wow. anything at all. Mm. Uh, it, it starts to come together. And I don't mean to, again, to, to Indran's point about naivety, I don't mean to sound naive or dismissive about how difficult resolving the so-called work, right? What sustains you financially and et cetera, et cetera, versus what your creative pursuits are. Uh, 
maybe I've been blessed to have inherited that thought process and that approach for, from my father and my parents or, or whatever the case may be, but truly that truly with all my heart, that is how I've led uh, my career uh, right up to the current point of uh, being a se senior executive. And, and it's a valid question, right? Like mm -hmm. they, these are hard, stressful jobs that we, mm -hmm. we do. And if we don't find a way to get them to synthesize, then creating poetry can either be difficult or maybe even close to impossible. On the other hand, my belief is it's actually my poetry, which reverse equation, which gives me the ability to walk into my work every morning with the form of finding moments of worship there. And the moments of worship are what sustains you, not the big picture, the holistic. So breaking it down into small pieces and finding those moments of engaging with a 22-year-old on a team and being able to have teaching and learning moments with a client, right? Or writing an email or writing to clients and using your writing yeah. desire to even make that writing as beautiful as you can. I, I, so those are, I can go on and on. That's a topic that probably deserves another hour. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sunil Bhandari and you are listening to the Salon version of Uncut Poetry. And with me are the absolutely transcendental poets Kashyana Singh and Indran. You can get their new books at places mentioned in the show notes. Indran, when do you write? Do you, do you follow a process, a discipline, a time? Well, I'm, I'm, I admit to being prolific and, and, and I write at, at different times of the day, uh, in the early morning, uh, especially uh, sometimes late at night. But um, now, why do I write at different times of the day? Because my day job at the moment has been, has been somewhat relaxed, shall we say. And so I just, I find I have more time uh, to write. Uh, my day job, I mean, I continue to be a diplomat. I'm working at the moment at a position virtually in Washington, the State Department. But um, that's going to change, and I'll, I'll, I'll need to adjust my schedule when, when I take on these new duties soon. But at the moment, I'm just taking advantage of this extra time. Um, I write because I, I, I need to write on some basic level. I, it makes me feel happy. It, it releases endorphins. It, it's like walking in the morning, which I also do, um, uh, necessary to my spiritual health and physical health, and, and as well as uh, emotional health. Um, and um, I write against solitude, out of solitude, uh, against solitude. I mean, I, I preach community from a solitary place, you know. So there's this contradiction um i love and yeah and i'm i feel loved and, and that helps me write you know uh and yet i'm you know living love is a very complicated wonderful emotion that can come in different ways and through people and, and people who are close to you physically geographically and people who are very far away and yet uh their love travels like light you know it comes in to the window in the morning, and uh, I wrote a poem today uh, called uh, uh, "I Love You Too." Just a simple poem, you know. Uh, I haven't shared it uh, widely yet because I I might be accused of being in love, which 
<laughs> which, which is a good thing. It's a dangerous. It's a good <laughs> it's thing, but it's dangerous to admit it, you know. <laughs> Unless it's "I love you too" again. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. But I don't mind admitting it. I mean, I. At the same time, when one's a little bit afraid, you know, because when you feel this overwhelming emotion, I mean, you know, the famous line about poetry should be emotion recollected in in tranquility. So when when you're overwhelmed by the emotion, writing at that moment creates a kind of euphoric poem. And I and I I don't know. Maybe I think I I'm brave or or silly enough to think that I can channel the, that emotion and and produce something worthy, you know, of being read by a stranger. Or uh, 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 then instead of having to wait it out. And anyway, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling well, uh, strong. Because I write, I'm because I and I feel the the love that informs, including this book of political, so to speak, poems. Because there is there are poems in there like my love I'm voting or or the love with my mother, where I talk about that and various poems, including when she literally voted in this last election. She's mm-hmm. eighty five now, turning eighty six, and frail and 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 um, so. Um, Late Night Olive Oil is the, one of the poems where I mm. I speak about this this notion of trying to, I mean, as sure. if I can stop decline and passing into the next life or next stage, you know. I, I think about that king who stood, sat on the beach and tried to stop the waves from from mm-hmm. washing on the shore. But the, that's the, the limits of human possibility, sure. you know, but yet you you explore them in your writing. You know? Sure. Um, sure. Uh, since, you, since you mentioned it, would you like to recite olive oil? Sure, um, I can. Let me, it, it's, uh, let me find the poem. It's called Late Night Olive Oil. Sure. It's a beautiful poem. Thank you. Late Night Olive Oil. Let us put the letters and fears and boiling emotions on the page, mummy. Why did you go to the kitchen stealthily without a word to your sleeping son, without your walker, to find the large bottle of olive oil, to pour it on the table and floor, to fill a small vessel which you meant to carry back to your room as if nobody would notice until you called by name because you could not negotiate the rest of the way from dining table to bedroom, vessel in hand, without cane or walker. I write to atone for my flailing words, saying, never, never, never again. The kitchen is prohibited. Your mania for oil in the hair is prohibited. The stealthy, mischievous, childish, truant foray into the darkness with a torch in hand, which you forgot on the countertop, all of this is prohibited. Your losing memory and control are prohibited. These words are prohibited. Decline and death are prohibited. So that's that's late night olive oil. Yeah, so and, beautiful. Uh, it's so beautiful. I completely loved it. Kashana, uh, yeah, yes, please, Indran. No, no, no. Uh, it's and and that's why this book, though it's a book of, quote, so to speak, political poems, is is is. Is that and and beyond that, and you sure, know, and the absolutely. word is, is valuable, you know. Yes, yes. We have a tendency to 
think of political poems as a sort of shouted on at high at speaker's mm. corner at mm. Hyde Park or something, but mm. no, they're, they're much. They can be very, very different. Oh, as as, as Kashyan has said, it could be politics in the kitchen, and those those could be murmurs, but they could be huge shoutouts in the heart somewhere. You know, so works both That's ways. Right. Yeah, Kashyan, you have a wonderful TED video. Work is worship. Would you like to talk about that topic because I think it's extremely passionate about it. So would would, would you like to? Yeah, I, yeah. We can spend a few minutes, and I, I just refer to it as we were talking about the reconciliation of your, sure, what you call your job and uh, your job, your job with a with a small J, which is which is the career that you have, and your job with a big J, which is the job that you think you've come out in this world to do, or like Indran said, right? You you have to write because at a basic level you need to write, right? That's that's what makes you that's what, that's how you survive that's how you thrive <laughs> so to say in, in simple terms work is worship and i'll i'll get to how i end the 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 talk which is the philosophy of guru nanak right and guru nanak who's who is one of the main gurus of the sikh that the sikh community follows but a lot of others read him as well his primary approach was about penance or meditation or worship does not need to be going into the himalayas and performing penance and being a medic monk uh, or a mendicant right for x number of years but he said the la- the highest level of meditation and worship happens when you are actually living your daily life as a common man with your family and your children and your work and he was the son of a of a businessman right like a shopkeeper and doing your work but doing all of that with the worship uh, on a day to day basis so that's the essence of of it and it's again <laughs> where where and how can we ever even reach the thought process of somebody as uh, profound right as as him uh but in simple ways what i think we bring to the bring to our daily lives uh, both in terms of the dailiness go back to mary oliver and her ability to find wonder right in just the daily moments and the daily objects and nature around her and walking into the woods every day with a pencil in hand and being able to write that whether it's that aspect of of worship or or it's the like you said to walk to a very job and find those moments that connect you to the higher spiritual portion of your own soul or the universe or it's and and i think if if we channel and are able to find that it kind of just then starts to resolve a lot of other things uh for us and we just we know our dear pay i think you you wrote sunil about uh, pay or we had one of the others yes. we we've just read all been rereading mm-hmm. right about him and what mm-hmm. he brought to the table and he what's probably not highlighted about him is that he was also a rebellion a, a rebel yes. right like he yes. rebelled against the monastic tradition to go yeah. fight for his country but mm-hmm. even through all of that he's the largest voice around on what what mindfulness should be sure. and how did he do that with his most diminutive personality is the mm. ability to really say that that happiness is here in your core it's right around us in moments and the mm. ability to find that and then 
make those dew drops your way of uh, finding worship. So in a sense, that's what I say. Um, personally, it does connect to woman by the door and the theme of loss and uh, grieving. And like, well, I think it's Macbeth maybe where there's, there's that quote about give sorrow words. And it also is give sorrow an ability to find ways of worship, mm. right? So I can tell you that my for my own period of extreme loss and when I was going through the through the grief, uh, the peak of the grief and you're in denial, et cetera, et cetera, the cycles of grief, I found I, I worked the most and the hardest at that point in time, not because I was trying to divert my mind, but because I was actually finding at work moments that would help me live in my grief because that would help then heal, right? Finding right. moments of healing at work and living in the grief. So right. that's that's really where I go with it. We're getting too serious, so we should come back. How beautiful, <laughs> how beautiful. Why don't we leaven it up with a poem of yours? Sure. I'm going to try and see which one I pick. Give me a moment. Um, let's, let's go with... Um, Let's go with Curds and Way since oh, we've been absolutely. talking about the Curds and Way. It's a universal favorite here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the poem's titled, In My Nani's House, Curds and Way Were a Religion. Rendered warm, the milk in homage to perfect temperature, every drop just enough, dripping a muted pear, prayer on Nani's wrist. Stately, it would reside on the dining table in a glazed terracotta pot, its tenderness an immaculate gospel. Spoonful smooth like rays of moon and attentive healing of my acidic chest, kindness revealed after rested nights. Persisting in pause and patience in my nani's house, sallow in its maturing, whisked Tidily into incubation, the ritual of curd making harnessed my attention for precision and process for transformation. An unveiling of the delectable aphrodisiac on Alvista mornings, always a ceremony. I have failed to assemble curd like that. Mine settles in watery mouthfuls of regret. It tastes hollow like an afterthought. Forgetting to tighten its surface muscles, it collects into itself, refusing to, to be real, curd metamorpho metamorphosized. I have tried so much to do what Nani did, but the curd I make always looks like half-fulfilled wishes, as if it is telling me to have more patience, wants me to breathe in, breathe out, and stir the silence. The chewy curd I assemble is reluctant uncondensed, unlike metal grace in Nani's. I had stood beside her more often, watched her more closely. Her eyes, an emblem of Agni, Akash, and expanse in her arms. I wish I knew when then that she was Prithvi, holding hostage and intoxication. I wish I had gathered stillness I wish I had surrendered my questions to making of good. There she is, looking at me sideways, sari palu, sweeping to her waist, a shining plate, pomegranate lips. Curds and way in my hands. This is absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. You know, it's so particular to uh, 
to india but it's so universal in its emotion i mean that that's the whole charm of this uh, poem absolutely was there a point in your creative life kashyana when you when it dawned on you that poetry was the way forward for you as a pursuit is it something which happened early in your life and how did it span out yeah. hard to say moment right like this i don't think it's i think it's hard for anybody to say sure. oh aha like i'm going to do poetry that's the aha moment but what i recollect and going back to poems of memory and childhood what i can tell you two or two or three things that are etched sharp and i know played some defining role in whatever little i'm doing today in terms of being still a learner i'm nowhere uh, i don't think i'm even a poet yet but i'm learning to be a poet right uh, and and that is number one my father making me and my sister stand and teaching us and helping us practice the boy stood on the burning deck casablanca wow. and oh captain my <laughs> captain uh, and at some point she and i both she was my sister's younger to me by three and a half four years but we both in our school probably did those between those two poems a couple of different times and every time we would win a prize or something so that's one right i can still recite casablanca by heart and oh captain my captain and those two and those were two of his favorite poems so that's one the second is my first poem got published when in some teenage magazine or something i'm sure it was a useless poem right <laughs> by all standards but my parents and made it seem like it was a big deal and it was the best poem written in the universe oh. and they would keep that little magazine at the coffee table and every person who entered or exited the house was compelled to read the poem that was written by kashyana <laughs> right i think that encouragement the positive reinforcement yeah. of what i did made me believe that i could write uh, write mm. poetry while su- subtly and gently teaching craft and encouraging reading and asking to to read etc cetera, etc cetera. so those two and then the last thing i'll say is my name uh is unique of course yes. right and it's it actually means ashiana is everybody knows ashiana which is home house dwelling etc and then kashiana is what my father decided to name me and it means a nest of love and he would always see i i did not choose ashiana for you i chose kashiana because i expect you to be a, a creative poetic so how lovely how <laughs> lovely so how lovely very prophetic wonderful, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. indran you write poetry but your life seems like a novel i mean there's no quibbling about that no question <laughs> no question you were born in sri lanka you study in london you move to hawaii do your masters in columbia usa and professionally you are you are with this us state department i mean in between of course you've picked up spanish and french and portuguese i, I, I i'm not even sure which other language i mean that's that's a that's a truck load if not a full universe of influence so i'm very curious to know how do you decide what to write on and in which language at any given point of time yeah no thank you it's been a the one uh, benefit of of being a diplomat is in the learning of languages and 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 when i learn a language i i become i do it in a very obsessive way i mean i don't want to just learn 
enough to to manage uh, at a cocktail party or or in a meeting, but I want to learn the language in in, in a way that a person on the street, you know, uh, who sells me uh, fish knows the language, or the person in the library, the librarian knows the language. I mean, I I have this very complete, absolute approach. So I. I do my best. I keep working. I'm always a student of, the, of these languages and I'm learning uh, expressions every day. Um, it's hard to keep up with all of them at the same time, but I feel like I can go to sleep tired in one language and wake up refreshed in another. You know, so <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you can just wake Beautiful. up every morning, several times a day with each language, you know, so that, that keeps me going. And then... Um, and then I set myself little tasks, you know, uh, uh, writing a poem in each of the languages in the course of the day or something. And that I've done occasionally. So I've, and it's it's an exercise. I mean, just like staying, keeping fit. I mean, if you exercise the language, you you keep you keep uh, growing in the language. So right now I exercise in three languages uh, regularly. I mean, especially in French and Spanish, where I write. Mm. Uh, I have a, a column that I need to, to, to furnish, and it's a poem, uh, which I, I particularly love the fact that I've been able to get a poem through the census, so to speak, to, into a newspaper <laughs> on a regular basis. I know. And, 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 and I do that, so I write in French in one case, though I could write in Creole there as well, and I do, uh, I have in the past, but not recently. And I write in Spanish and the other. So the Portuguese and the Haitian Creole are the other languages that I know. And so I'm, uh, I keep up with Haitian Creole just because of some practical reasons here at home. Um, the lady who helps uh, as care, giving care to my mother is, is Haitian. Wow. And so I speak with her in Creole on a regular basis. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then uh, Portuguese... Uh, I write occasionally now in Portuguese, but not on a regular basis. So I have to I have to brush up in Portuguese. So it's it's a it's a sort of um, endless task of trying to keep up. But uh, <laughs> but it is it's it keeps me alive, uh, re- very much alive and, and very refreshed. And then um, why do I do it? I mean, you know, one wonders. You know, uh, I I I've been a border crosser all my life and. Uh, including uh, crossing the language borders. And uh, I once started uh, in Mexico many years ago. I shared some of my first poems in Spanish with a poet there who, who sort of pushed back and said, well, why do, you, why do you write in Spanish? I mean, you know, you should be writing in English. That's your language, you know, stay there. And I didn't like that idea. You know, I don't like to be told I cannot do this. I don't like to be told that I don't belong. You know, I, for me, belonging is is fundamental. Uh, and maybe that's part of my sense of being a migrant too, that I, I belong to the English language, I belong to the American language. I belong also to the, the Ceylonese language, the Sri Lankan language. I mean, English is a, one of the languages of the island. So I don't, uh, I don't really uh, suffer too much um, problems of, of the paperwork, you know, I mean, I'm, I belong, for example, in an anthology in Mexico, uh, my poems in Spanish were included in a, an anthology uh, in published in North, Northern Mexico of poets from Nuevo León, which is a, a state in Northern Mexico. Um, 
to me, that's a big badge of uh, pride, you know, that I've been included in that anthology as if I was born in that landscape and, and, and come from there. I was once invited to Oaxaca in Mexico to uh, an, uh, a meeting of local writers, in other words, poets and writers born in the state of Oaxaca, which includes various indigenous communities and many different native languages like Zapotec and Mixtec and so on. And I was the only sort of, so to speak, Indian included, you know, from, wow. uh, and again, I felt, I felt honored by the invitation and I made the effort and I went uh, to this small uh, town um, in, in the state of Oaxaca in the isthmus of Tehuantepec, I think, it, I'm forgetting now the exact name of the place. And uh, so I guess I, 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 you know, it's an idealist point of view that, you know, to be, to celebrate uh, crossing borders freely and sure. in, in this world where there's so many uh, limitations to that sort of idealism or that kind of utopian idea. Mm -hmm. But I, I, do, I do believe in it. It, it gives me um, purpose. And, and, and so um, I don't think uh, when you come to belief, that belief will be excised from me or, or extracted from me, um, and it and it will just keep informing uh, the, the poetry that I write. Yeah, wonderful. It's such a privilege, I must say. Uh, love to hear a poem from Ten Thousand Steps. Thank you. I, I'd be happy to. Uh, how about a um, small poem yeah. called "The Right Path." Uh, but I think perhaps uh, sometimes brevity uh, works. Let's see. Let us roll, America. Let us not look back. Let us seize the fellow by the absent coattail. Let us reveal the traipsing emperor nude. And let us remember and defend the rights of our virus dead. But let us do so with respect, with love. Why? Because Jesus says so. Why? Because we are not jackals and hyenas. Why? Because we have to get back on the road to the promised land. I love, so, love, 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 love that poem. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I rightly said, it's brevity which brings out the punch in it. It's wonderfully done. Thank you for the chance to read. Yeah, I mean, I'm very close, obviously. Each book is a child, you know, and I've 22 children or something in terms of books, but <laughs> but I have two uh, biological children as well who are who inform who are everywhere in these books, and and you know love as I said earlier it's 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 a wonderful emotion and it's and it's without it um, I don't really know how one can live you know and um, so um, there's a, and and I think we can uh, reduce our footprint on the planet, you know, I, we can make practical steps towards uh, conservation and we just have to do this on an individual basis as well as within the family and within the community and within the nation at large and within the international sure. community at large. So, sure. uh, these are things that, these are belief systems that I have that are, uh, inform these poems as well, these 10,000 steps, each step 
Wonderful. It's, it's a metaphor for what we can each do sure. and or should do and, and are doing perhaps, you know. Mm. I, I like to think of the glass as half full, despite all these uh, terrible uh, signs around, you know, yet, yet we are here and we are talking Absolutely. tonight. Um, Absolutely. So. Kashana, love to hear a poem from you. Let's go with brevity as a theme. So I, I'm a new learner, and I, again, I'm a learner poet, but I'm, I got introduced to haiku a couple of years ago, and uh, I'll probably read a haiku garland. Uh, this was published in the Rattle a couple of months ago, and it's called Normal. Rare blue moon and other ambulance and blue lights. Rare blue moon and other ambulance and blue lights. Obituaries, age, color, caste, no bar. Tourist season, an empty colosseum of silent coffins. Mm. Tourist season, an empty colosseum of silent coffins. War zones, a worldwide bunker of chaos. Shallow breaths, grandma whispers, a final blessing. Cancelled flights, the godwit migrates again this year. Cancelled flights, the godwit migrates again this year. Ocean waves, the dip and rise of economics. Ocean waves, the dip and rise of economics. This is, I think, middle of last year, Obviously, it speaks wonderful. to what right. was going on. At that right. Time. Wonderfully done. And haikus sometimes, you know, they, they like drips of water, you know, tap, 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 and suddenly you find a whole flood creating, you know, so it's, it's wonderfully done. How beautiful. Uh, and I, it's one word on haiku and why it resonated with me. It again goes back to the theme of worship and meditation and just the art of observation and the art of reduction that is yeah, required to be able to do a haiku in itself is uh, almost like an act of meditation because you keep peeling the layers of the onion. So, uh, Indran, a poem from you to end with? Sure. Perhaps I'll read um, a poem from uh, a, another book called Blue Window. It just... Uh, and I'll read the original Spanish and then the translation into, into English. It's a short, relatively short poem. If you like. um, so uh, it's called Viaje or Trips. The Viaje, cada uno por su cuenta, tú hacia la montaña, yo al mar, tú con nuevos amigos y con tiempo para reflexionar Yo a ver a mi hija el fruto del pasado y a unos amigos nuevos, una hija alta y bella, casi un adolescente a punto de despegar. ¿A dónde? A una nueva ciudad. Al futuro que le espera otra vez en el padre. A mí no me gusta lo impermanente y darme cuenta del límite de la costa. ¿Qué opciones me quedan? No regresar. No dar algún consejo a este ser vivo al que ayudé a caminar. Guardar el silencio cuando cada memoria quiere hablar. Trip. 
in the translation of uh, Jennifer Rathbun. We are on a trip, each one of us on our own, you towards the mountain, I to the sea, you with new friends and time to reflect, I to see my daughter, fruit of the past and a few friends still on this side of the sea. I don't know how to take advantage of the contrast, mountain, sea, new friends, a tall and beautiful daughter almost, an adolescent ready to take off. Where to? A new city, to a future that awaits her again without her father. I don't like the impermanent and realize the limit of the coast. What options are left for me? Not return, not give some advice to this living being whom I help teach to walk. Keep silent when every memory wants to talk. Thank you. Oh, this is so beautiful. I don't know, you know, when you were reading, I kept thinking of Naomi Shihab Nye for some reason. I just don't know oh, why. Yeah. You know, it seemed to have whiffs of the way she writes. Wonderful. In oh, her, you know, she was it. very kind to me. She, she wrote, <laughs> wrote a, blurb, a comment yes, about... Yes, yeah, she did. Okay, I read that. Yeah. One of my favorite poets. Thank you. Kashana. Just the way you read Span the Spanish, even though I, I don't think Sunil or I... The musicality yes. of it, to your point, Hendron, was like, it was just beautiful. It's wonderfully done. Thank you. Do you, do you want me to go with one? Yes, please. Okay. I'm going to read one that I haven't read in a long while, but I think this is a fitting one to read. And it's called, How a Woman Delivers Hope. She embroiders the tundra with her hushed moans, breathless as a tightness tugs and untugs within her, hesitating, punctuating, she watches the air meet flesh at the outline of her being, as calm unsettles into rivulets flowing from inside of her, she pushes into beginnings and rises into endings. Still, patient, warrior, woman, giving birth. As the universe tumri swirling slogans into light, she follows other women, their flaming, screaming, their breathing as her urging sinew and muscles shift, pulsing her towards life. She renews herself with a sumptuous feast of goddess light. As it ebbs and flows, unfurling grit, reciting the new, reciting the new, reciting the new as the midwife guides, she oozes eternity into the space between her thighs, rising into a crescendo, the protests outside grow vacant with cries, she enunciates freedom for her body and offers an exile to that which was held within hers, pushing, brimming, pushing, bearing, delivering hope into a pregnant pause and a glistening head now emerges. Into the hands of her convulsing grace, into fragility of a land that walks barefoot into earth men that pedal her to goddesses, into monuments that stand on quicksands, into rivers, sterile for they are bleeding dry, into flags that flutter with septic infusions, into stuttering prayers of a laboring country. How a woman leaves behind drenched stories sputtering from the stone of her wasted wombs, she delivers enough, drenched, wet, unfolding hope. How a woman delivers hope. Thank you. Magnificent. Thank you. 
Thank you. Magnificent is the word. It's so beautiful. Oh my God, my hair was standing on its end. Thank you so much, Indran Kashyana. This has been Thank such you. a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I, I'm so happy we oh, did this. Oh, uh, not only a pleasure, a blessing, Sunil. Very lovely. You're you're conducting us through this 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 show on this trip, which has been really a. a a very lovely and moving conversation thank you so much thank, thank you thank you for your it candor. didn't feel like we were doing this for any other reason like i said to you sort of like it felt like an adda that we were just sitting <laughs> here in kolkata uh, that we were just sitting and having our conversation and that's Absolutely. the beauty of it so we'll carry it with us for a long while This is Sunil Bhandari and you were listening to the Salon version of Uncut Poetry and with me were the wonderful poets Kashyana Singh and Indran you can get their new books at places mentioned in the show notes I'm so excited to tell you that I have started a newsletter called The Uncuts it has my poetry and it has musings on life We will have the next episode of Ankar Poetry out as usual on Saturday at 8 p.m. IST, 6:30 a.m. PT, 2:30 p.m. GMT. See you then.